0: Good morning and happy Easter to all of you who are watching this morning. This year we're all kind of experiencing Easter a little bit differently, aren't we? How could we not with everything that's going on? You know, this is normally the time when many of our families would be getting prepared to go to worship at church. So maybe you'd be getting your kids breakfast or maybe you'd already be there for the the early breakfast at church or You'd be getting your family dressed, your kids ready in their finest Easter outfits, that sort of a thing. Probably none of that's happening this year. You guys might be out there just sitting on your couch in front of your TV. Maybe you're huddled around a computer screen or a cell phone or whatever you might be watching this on. But Easter is looking a lot different this year. It just has to. And I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing, as we'll talk about a little bit later. But one of the things that I want to do together this morning is not only just experience Easter differently, but I want to think about Easter a little bit differently today, too. And so in order to do that, I want to look together at a story that doesn't come from any of the Gospels. In fact, it doesn't really even come from the life of Jesus although we know that everything is wrapped up in him and points to him anyway. But this morning, I want our minds to go further back than uh, Jerusalem in Jesus' day. I want us to go all the way back in our minds to Egypt. And if you remember, in Exodus chapter 12, we find that the Israelites are in captivity to Egypt. And it's been that way for hundreds and hundreds of years. They've been in slavery to the kind of the iron fist of Pharaoh in slavery. And we find out in Exodus chapter 12 that they have a problem. But if you look back before 12 in verse or in chapter 6, we find out that Israel was already dealing with a problem. In fact, in my opinion, an even bigger problem that they had. And so I want to look at Exodus chapter six before we look at Exodus twelve, just for a moment. And I, verses one through eight is the Lord speaking to Moses, giving him information and instruction to give to the people. So in summary of, of that, God is telling Moses to say to the people things like, hey, the Lord is speaking, and he's the same God that spoke to our forefathers. And God is saying, I'm going to establish my covenant with Israel, with you guys. He's also saying things like, I heard the groanings of my people in Egypt. And so I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to deliver my people from slavery in order to bring them to the land that I've been promising them. And in verse 9, we see a very interesting thing happen. Here's where the problem lies. We'll see if you can see it. In chapter six, verse nine, Moses spoke these things to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Did you see the problem that they were already dealing with in chapter six because of their broken spirit? And it says the harsh slavery that they were under and had been under for years. They did not listen to God's word being spoken to them by Moses after centuries, hundreds and hundreds of years of bondage. When God finally spoke to them through one of his chosen people, they didn't listen. They didn't. They couldn't listen. The the faith of God's people had all but withered away down to nothing at this point in the story. And even at the offer of rescue, even at the offer of redemption from slavery, it didn't stir God's people much at all. So the big problem facing the Israelites here in Exodus chapter 6, I don't even think it was unbelief. I think it was wrong beliefs. I think it was wrong beliefs. Because see, everybody believes something about God. Everybody believes that he's there and real or he's not real. He's, he doesn't exist. And if you believe that God does exist, you know, there's varying degrees of how involved he is in the world. Does he care really about us or not? Well, Israel had the same options. They had lots of different gods to believe in at the time. And they had heard the promise of salvation that was given by Moses from God, but they didn't listen because their, their wrong beliefs overshadowed the promises that God was reminding them of here through Moses. There's one interesting thing to note here. In chapter 6, verse 1, God actually acknowledges what the people were already feeling inside. Look at this with me. Verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out. And with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Now this is talking about down after the plagues when Pharaoh, because of his anger and just resentment and hardness of heart, he was just going to send out the people. They actually gave the Israelites gifts on the way out. So, what this text is saying is that it's, it's a strong hand of Pharaoh. He's going to, with force, get them out of there. But I also think that this is talking about the strength that Pharaoh embodied here. And so, God was acknowledging what the people were already feeling. In verse 5 of chapter 6 here, God has already heard the groanings of his people, he says. And so in compassion, he sets out on this rescue plan, this rescue mission. And at this point in the story, God is already starting to set the stage for this magnificent deliverance from Egypt. And I don't think it's that God just loves drama or that he wants to make a big entrance all the time. It's just that his worth and his power needed to be seen for what they really were, for what they really are even still today. So God acknowledges Pharaoh's strength in order to set his own power and his own strength even that much higher above it. And the problem wasn't that they didn't know the truth. The problem was that because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery, the Israelites had become had come to believe wrong things, specifically that Pharaoh held all the power. They had come to believe that the deck was stacked in his favor. And after all, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had been silent for years and years and years. And so as probably I would say many of most of us would do as well, they believed what their eyes were telling them instead of what God was telling them through Moses here. The Israelites had come to believe that Pharaoh and Egypt were the most powerful force in the known world on the planet. And in one sense, they were kind of right. You know, Egypt was loaded, they were loaded with military power, with finances, with personnel, and with leadership. In comparison, what did Israel have? They had a physically, emotionally, spiritually weak nation with a stuttering spokesman. Well no wonder The people didn't listen to Moses. No wonder they saw the strength of Pharaoh and didn't believe that God was telling them the truth. They believed wrong things. Now, let me mention a note of application here. It's one that honestly breaks my heart because I see it played out in my own life too often. And it's this. Israel's circumstances in the scene drove their belief in the unseen. Let me say it again a little differently. Israel's circumstances and what they could see drove their belief in what they couldn't see. Because their spirits were so broken by the Egyptian captors that they could see and they could feel the whips on their back, they believed something false about God who they couldn't see with their eyes. They believed that he had forgotten them. Or, if he did notice, then, uh, he certainly only gave him a half-hearted effort to rescue them. After all, look at the plan. Look at the guy who was leading them, this outcast Moses. The weight of the, their circumstances caused them to believe wrong things about God. I fall into this trap too. I would venture to say that you fall into this trap too. It is so, so easy to only see what's right in front of us instead of believing in God's promises. It's so, so easy to let the problems that we see or that we feel drive us to believe that God has forgotten us. But for the Israelites, their circumstances were not a reflection of the truth of God's enduring rescue plan. And for you, your circumstances are not always a reflection of the truth of God's rescue plan in your life. God's plan was always to take the Israelites as his people, to be their God, and then to fulfill all of the promises that he was making to them. He he gives his plan in chapter 6, verse 6. And we have to read this together because it's really pretty incredible. Read it with me. Verse 6. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. Look at what he's saying. Look at these action words in verse 6. He says, I'm going to bring them out. He says, I'm going to deliver them. He also says, I'm going to redeem them. Man, these are incredible promises that God is telling his people he's going to do for them. But don't miss the point in verse 7. There's a point to that. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. What was the point in their incredible, miraculous coming deliverance? It was to confirm that he was their God, they were his people, and that there was no one more powerful than he was. Is it possible that the burden that you are under right now in your life might be used to show the power of God? Could it be that what you're faced with, God is using to confirm that you're his child? Or to conform you more into the image of Jesus Christ? After all, isn't that what sanctification is? Or is the weight of your circumstance causing you to believe wrong things about God? That's the danger we need to guard against today. Friends, you and I, we're going to be tempted to doubt, and we're going to be tempted to lose heart. In fact, you may even feel like the Israelites did in this text. You may feel as though your spirit is broken, just like them. But let me assure you, his rescue plan is still in full swing. The beautiful thing is that God is still seeking and saving lost people. And if you are his own, if you are his, if you have answered his call, you can believe that he always makes good on every one of his promises. So our story in Exodus this morning serves as a teaching, but also as a reminder of this very thing. Throughout nine incredible and disastrous plagues, Egypt came face to face with someone who was more powerful than their pharaoh, And they came face to face with someone who was more powerful than all the wisest counselors in all of the known world at the time. And so we come to the last of the plagues in Exodus chapter 12, the inevitable and imminent death of the firstborn. And this is where we also come to what we know as the Passover, which was the culmination of God's plan to rescue his people. And So turn to Exodus chapter 12. Many of you know this story. God was, through Moses, instructing the people to take an unblemished lamb and to, sacri- to kill it, to sacrifice it, and then to put some of its blood on the top and sides of the doorway to their homes. He gives them instruction on how to eat the lamb, um, what to do with the leftovers, what not to eat along with it, and then also what they should be wearing and their attitude should be during the whole thing. We're not going to go into all of that today, but I want to do point out in chapter 12, verse 11, that this is called the Lord's Passover. It's not Israel's, it's not the Jewish Passover, it's the Lord's Passover. This was all brought about, initiated, and fulfilled by him. And if the Israelites were to believe and follow these instructions, then the death of the firstborn would not affect them in their home. Those who had a covering of the blood of the lamb would not be affected by this. So just let me review and summarize that so far. The remedy for the Israelites to avoid the death of their firstborn, which was a big deal because the firstborn carried on the family name, carried on the the nation as a whole. So if the remedy for the Israelites to avoid the death of their firstborn was to do this, then that's what God had told them to do was to spread the blood on the doorposts and over the top of a perfect lamb so that they would find protection in their homes. The only escape from impending doom was to gather as a family inside the only sanctuary that they had. They were supposed to take shelter under the blood of a spotless lamb. Now, When we think of shelter right now, we kind of think of maybe a little bit differently because we're being told to shelter in place for our own safety, for the safety of those around us. We talked about this in our midweek video this past week, uh, and it's a smart thing to do. We don't want to overwhelm our medical system. We want to keep as many people safe as we can. But I can't reduce everything about the coronavirus and the sickness that we're being faced with. I can't reduce it all to make a one-to-one comparison with the death plague in Egypt I can't tell you that God is for sure using this to judge our world or that it's the devil attacking people who are made in the image of God in order to destroy them or I can't tell you if it's just a little bit of both I don't really think it's my job to understand the hows or the whys of all of it I don't think it's your job to understand all of it either well so what are we supposed to do if we're not supposed to try to understand it What are we supposed to do? Well, let me just remind us of something that we need to evaluate, especially now more than ever, maybe, is that there are plenty of things that are happening that are outside of my control, outside of your control. In fact, probably a lot of us feel like there are very few things right now that are actually in our control. And that's a really hard place to be. But what's your response when things are out of your control? Because I don't think people ask to be infected with a life-threatening disease. I don't think many people are asking to be laid off of work without pay right now. Certainly, I don't think we enjoy being told where we can go and what we can do and where we can't go and when we can't go. Those are freedoms that we're used to having. And now it's hard to have those things taken away. So how do we respond when things are beyond our control? I absolutely think we need to use this opportunity to respond in a way that the Israelites didn't in faith. I really believe what is happening right now is revealing where our true hope lies. What's happening right now is revealing where our real hope is planted because our health can and will be stripped away either by illness or just by age. The jobs that we have will not be our place of employment forever. Some of you have realized that all too real right now. The family that we love so dearly only has a certain amount of days on this earth left. And none of us know how many of those are. The number of dollar bills in your bank account will one day run out if they haven't already. So if our hope rests on any earthly thing, we're going to wake up one day... With no hope left. Where will you turn then? I think David felt this more deeply than most of us when he wrote Psalm 60. So you can be turning to Psalm 60 in your Bible. God, as a result of a rebellious and unrepentant nation, is judging Israel justly right now in this text. Israel's enemies just keep defeating them over and over and over. And beginning to understand this, David responds with this psalm. Let's read the first five verses together of Psalm 60. Oh, God, you have rejected us, broken our defenses. You've been angry. Oh, restore us. You've made the land to quake. You've torn it open. Repair its breaches for it totters. You've made your people see hard things. You've given us wine to drink that made us stagger. You've set up a banner for those who fear you, that they may flee to you from the bow, that your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer us. For David, in the midst of this national crisis, there was only one thing to do, and it wasn't stockpile toilet paper. It wasn't even invest a bunch of the nation's money in more military. It wasn't those things. The only thing in David's mind to do, as he says, is to flee to the banner, to rally to the banner, other translations say. There's no way that Israel's military might could overcome their enemies. And their leaders had repeatedly shown that they were inept at following God's will for their nation. Every earthly thing that they might try to put their hope on, to cling to, would fail. Except the banner of the Lord. And so David says, rally to the banner. Well, What what was the banner that they ran to? Where did they find protection and shelter? In the living God. They found shelter in the living God. In the strength of the Lord's right hand, verse 5 says. And back in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, it says, In the power of the Lord's outstretched arm. To make absolutely clear where God's people should take refuge, David writes Psalm 61, verses 1 through 4. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. So this is where David was sure of his people that he needed to find refuge. For him and his people, the only hope for Israel was to rally to the banner of God's protection. For the Israelites in Egypt during the Passover, their only hope was to take shelter under the blood of a spotless lamb. Friends, for you and me today, our only hope is to take shelter under the blood of the perfect lamb of God. That's exactly how Jesus is described in John chapter 1, verse 29, by John the Baptist. The very first time John sees Jesus, he says, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The refuge that the Israelites took in Egypt, the refuge that they ran to, the banner that they run to in Psalms, and the shelter that we have today is one and the same. It's Jesus Christ. So no matter what's happening with the spreading of sickness in our world, our great hope remains the same. God's plan that requires a lamb. We must rally to Jesus's crimson banner We have to shelter in Christ only. This is the hour that for all of us to run to Jesus Christ. It's time for us to shelter in Him, to rally to His crimson banner, to celebrate the eternal Passover that only He offers us. But to be clear, for Christians, the Passover and Easter, they're not just events on a calendar. Those aren't things. Easter isn't just a thing that we spend extra time and energy uh, to put on a production in our churches. This isn't simply a time of year that just gets extra work. For every believer, from every background imaginable, the Passover is not an event. It's a person. Passover is Jesus Christ. Now, as challenging as it is, to be separated from friends and family and loved ones in our church body this time of year, I really think it's actually appropriate let me explain see in his infinite wisdom God has spared us from giant chocolate bunnies and from elaborate Easter egg hunts and from high dollar and high energy productions and all of the things that tend to come with this this time of year God has caused us to change our focus away from all of those things and on what today really means, on what the focus should really be about. It's about the resurrection of our Savior. Because Jesus was fully human, he could, on our behalf, perfectly obey the law and then suffer the punishment for all of human sin. Because of his divine nature, Jesus' obedience and suffering would also be perfect and effective for everyone who believes. And not only that, but because of his sinless sacrifice, God raised Jesus up from the dead to show us that his sacrifice had been accepted. And then that everyone who comes to God through Jesus could also be accepted. But it all starts with the blood of a perfect lamb. And in order to have any refuge, any comfort, any protection at all, each one of our stories has to start with blood, too. The blood from Jesus on the cross covering us on that crimson banner. It was there at the cross where his life was given, and he died once for all to end sin's power, Paul says in Romans 6.10. The question is, have you run to the crimson banner of the blood of Christ for refuge and freedom from eternal death? can only be found there. But not only that, the empty tomb provides comfort for us as believers. We take refuge in Christ's defeat of our final enemy because he's crushed all of the forces on earth that were dedicated to keeping God's people from fullness in him. Because Christ has been raised, we also have hope beyond what just this life has to offer. So, honestly, whether our life reaches its end in two weeks or in 20 years, the empty tomb reminds us of life beyond the grave. See, death does not have the final word for the Christian. Christ does. Our Savior does. And not only those things, but we also take refuge in the shadow of the throne. That is where Jesus constantly intercedes for his own, Hebrews 7.25 says. And this assures us that he has the power to save us completely and forever. Because if he is constantly interceding for us in heaven, how could we ever fall away? How could we ever be taken from his hand? So every day, Christians should joyfully proclaim these promises of God. The gift of deliverance, of healing, and of wholeness that we find in his son, Jesus. Because Christ is our Passover lamb. He is our covering. He is our refuge. He is our shelter in times of storm, in times of trouble. Do you remember Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, we talk about God's action plan, those action words that he was going to do. Let me just remind us of this again. He said that he was going to bring them out from under their burdens. He said he was going to deliver them from slavery. And he said he was going to redeem them with his outstretched arm, with his power. Friends, God's plan today is still to bring you out from under your burdens. It's still to deliver you from slavery to sin. And it's still to redeem you by his mighty power. And all of this is wrapped up and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In God's own son who was given to take away the sins of the world. And this is what is announced so vividly at Easter. Today, God brings this kind of good news to each one of us. He offers the same promises that he offered the Israelites, but now the promise is found in his son, because Jesus has become for us the only shelter we will ever need. Our deepest prayer as a church and my deepest prayer as a pastor and as your friend is that in this Easter and in this Passover season that you would shelter in Jesus and nowhere else. Only in Him do we find protection from the results of sin in our life and protection from the results of death that comes from sin. Because with Him comes eternal life. Let me leave you with a verse from Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else but Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Put your faith in Jesus today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we see the sacrifice of Christ. We have heard about the blood that he has shed. And we want to run under that crimson banner. The protection from your wrath that is just for our sin, Lord, and protection from all of the craziness of this world. doesn't mean our lives will be perfect and we will be without sickness, without pain. Lord, but it means that we have a shelter from the storm. We have a God that walks through things with us. And we thank you for that. Lord, may those who are watching today put their faith completely in Christ. To not trust in their own good works. To not trust in anything else in this life. But to throw themselves completely on him and on his sacrifice. Knowing that it was sufficient and effective To save everyone who believes. Lord, help our unbelief today. God, as we run under the crimson banner, as we run to shelter in Jesus Christ, I pray that we would find fulfillment and hope in this life, but also in the life to come. Remembering that death does not have the final word here. You do. And for all those who are found in Christ, eternal life is found as well. And just as you raised Jesus from the dead to show that the debt was fully paid, Lord, you will raise us up as well because of it. Help us to put our faith in Jesus Christ today. There's no other name by which we can be saved. Help us to cry and call out to him today. Thank you for salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you today. I hope and pray that your Easter celebrations are full of hope, are full of joy. And even though they might be full of other people, we can still find comfort and shelter in the person of Jesus Christ. I hope that you are blessed today in him.